Hi, I'm so glad you're here. We'll, we'll jump in. Um, so, I saw something uh, very interesting, uh, interesting to me. Well, let me, let me start with uh, sort of the human dimension for a moment. I was talking with someone, and they said to me, uh, you know, I'm studying Torah, and I'm learning all these different uh, concepts of how to deal with things and everything like that. And yet, I just had a, an interaction with uh, someone, and they really hurt my feelings and disappointed me, and I'm, I'm emotionally, you know, they didn't use the word suffering, but they, I, I feel terrible. And, and I can't understand why it is, how it is, that I'm learning about all of these things, and yet here I am feeling terrible, and it seems like I'm experiencing a disconnect. If I'm learning all of these different things, then shouldn't I, uh, sh- shouldn't I have mastered my emotions or shouldn't it have translated in such a way that I wouldn't have to experience any sort of pain from this unfortunate interaction that I just had? Everyone hear the question, right? So... Um, what I said back was, I said, imagine that, um, imagine you're like an expert uh, car mechanic, okay? And you know everything about fixing cars. You've been learning about fixing cars, studying about it. You really know how to fix a car. Now imagine your car f- breaks down, okay? Well, it just because you know how to fix a car doesn't mean that the car gets fixed automatically. It now takes time to fix the car. You may not have the part. (laughs) You may have to order the part. Even if you have the part, you have to open up the car. You have to work with the car. In other words, there isn't an immediate transference from the knowledge of fixing the car to the tires being changed or to the carburetor being replaced or whatever it is. So this is the intellect and the emotions. Because one one understands something... There isn't an immediate transference to the realm of the emotions. It takes work now to apply one's knowledge to one's feelings. And that process can take days, weeks, months, years. But, but there's no contradiction between knowing the keys and, and, and the process of applying the keys. So, so this is, um, this is important for us to understand because a lot of times we become very impatient with ourselves and become very impatient with our feelings. And we have to understand that it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a different realm within ourselves and requires a, a more elaborate process of fixing, which sometimes can be very time consuming and, and, and quite a, an emotional hardship. In, in, in order to uh, implement. Okay. Now, with this in mind, I learned something uh, very interesting, I thought, which is going to get more, more, more deeply into this idea of the, the, the emotions and um, the circumstances of a person's life and the essence of a person. And it comes from a Gomorrah in uh, Menachos uh, on uh, 43b, I think. It's 43, but... Anyway, and I was learning it from a, uh, a book called Bridging the Gap by Rabbi Avi Fertig, which uh, 
I just sort of opened up this week and, and was really enjoying. And, and he brought down this uh, case from the Gomorrah. Listen to this case. Very interesting case. It says that the... Um, he uses the word punishment. I don't, I don't like that word. I think that's, uh, that's, that's... I don't think that's such a Torah word. It's, I think it's sort of an English word that carries with it all sorts of alien uh, ideologies and theologies. I like the word fixing. <laughs> you know... So, listen to this. You know, when we have the mitzvah of, 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 of tzitzis, right? So, 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 you have the white strings, and then you have the blue string. Okay, so, so now, now people are starting to bring back the blue string more, and we're trying to figure out exactly what the proper dye is and everything like that. But back a couple of thousand years ago, they had the blue string. It was expensive, by the way, even back then. Even today, if you want to try to get it, it, it it's uh, kind of expensive. But anyway, um, so, so you have the white strings, and then among the, the strings, one would be blue. Okay, that's called techeles. So listen to what the Gemara says. The fixing required, right, for someone who doesn't, doesn't obtain the white strings is greater than for someone who doesn't obtain the blue string. So let me say that a little more simply. <laughs> the punishment for someone who doesn't get the white strings is greater than the someone who doesn't get the blue string. Now, Rashi explains why, why is that the case. Because the white strings are easier to get and to find than the blue string. Okay, so now we have to go more deeply into this. So, so let me let me give you uh, another another way of kind of imagining this. Maybe make it more relatable. I hope. Imagine, imagine that I tell you the king is coming. Set the table. Set the table in your house. I want you to put out the finest crystal goblets um, and also paper plates. Okay? Now I come to your house and I say, the king is coming and I see that there's, um, there's no crystal goblets. I say, where, where, where are the crystal goblets? And you say back, they're very expensive and they were very hard to get and I couldn't find them and it was very hard for me. Okay. But... There are no paper plates on the table either. <laughs> Where are the paper plates? And you go, ah, I didn't want to get the paper plates. <laughs> okay, so now, now let's, now let's go back to what the Gomorrah says. The punishment or the fixing required is greater for the person who leaves out the paper plates than for the person who leaves out the goblets. Because the goblets are very hard to get, but the paper plates, you had the paper plates and you didn't bother to do the paper plates. Now let's listen, let's listen to the speech of the person. Again, these are my words, but this is consistent with what the Gomorrah is trying to bring out. So you say, well, the goblet was very expensive and, and I couldn't find it and, 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 and I didn't have the money for it and it was, it was very hard for me. 
Okay. So these are the circumstances of a person's life. These are, this is the chitzonios, if you will, the outside dimension. All the person's life situations. Okay? Okay. That's one level. So, but then when a person says, ah, but the paper plates, I didn't want to do that. Ah, that's not the outside circumstances of a person anymore. That's the inside essence of a person reflecting itself. The paper plates were in the drawer. Eh, I didn't want to do it. That's the I talking, not the outside circumstances of a person talking. So now you see, wow, so if a person doesn't even bother with the white strings, which are easily, easily obtainable, that's a reflection of the person's inner self coming out. And therefore it requires a greater fixing because it's more central to the person that's disconnected in terms of their relationship to God. But now on the flip side of this, there's some very good news and something very surprising. And this is getting back to the realm of the emotion, which um, I think hopefully will, will be a source of encouragement for us in our lives, which is that in terms of the obtaining of the blue strings, and Rabbi Fertig brings out this point, on a deeper level, there was a struggle going on. Now remember, remember it says that someone who doesn't require, someone, someone who doesn't get the blue string, the, the level of fixing required is less, okay, than if you didn't get the white string. But now let's go back into the person's mind and listen to the struggle. That's the key word. Let's listen to the struggle that the person is experiencing and we'll gain an insight about ourselves. The person saying, I want to do it. I need to do it. I'm supposed to do it, but I can't do it. But I want to do it. But I can't, I can't quite do it. And then I didn't do it. Now, Generally speaking, if a person falls short at the end of that, they think, I, now I didn't do it. Now I'm really going to get it. <laughs> it's really going to come down now. And yet, what do we see? That the punishment is less for that person. Why do we think, like, okay, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do I, I'm not supposed to do that. I can't do that. I'm not supposed to do that. I did it. <laughs> Uh, now I'm really going to get it. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to do it or that we're allowed to do it, but the point is, and here's the, here's the, the point, that the, we think that the punishment is going to be worse because we were so emotionally involved in the process. But the reality is, is that our emotional involvement in that process actually is a sign of how much we care. And that that caring is actually a sign of great closeness, even if in the end we fall short. It says, God wants the heart. God wants the heart. He also wants our actions, by the way. Some people, you know, people famously quote half-truths. Like, for instance... 
The best example that I heard was, it says, it's a, uh, that Hashem says to Moshe, and Moshe says to Paro, let my people go. Right? Freedom. Just freedom. But that's not what it actually says in the Torah. It says, let my people go so that they can go serve me. That's the whole, that's the whole thought. In other words, the whole leaving of Egypt was in order to get to Mount Sinai, in order to get the life instructions of the mitzvahs. That's, that's the completed thought. To just say, let my people go, I gotta do my thing, man. That's, that's what it's about. Look, look in the Torah. That's, that's, I gotta, I gotta take myself out of my own Egypt. Okay, but let's follow that through. And do what exactly? <laughs> my thing. <laughs> and your thing is what exactly? However I'm feeling in the moment. Which makes you a slave to whom? However I'm feeling in the moment. So, so in other words, you're going from slavery to slavery. <laughs> Where's the freedom part? Where's the freedom part exactly? See, the greatness, the greatness of the Torah, or one aspect, I mean, the Torah is infinite, one, one aspect of the greatness of the Torah is that it fixed life in a definable, in a definable way. You know, we've talked about it before. It says that, it says, don't say that God engraved the the, the letters of the of the tablets of the luchos say use the word cherus meaning freedom so in other words it's saying don't use the word engraved use the word freedom so it seems like uh, a paradox opposites because to engrave something is to make it indelible to make it not movable right it's carved in it's carved into stone literally what's where do you get the idea of freedom there? It's the opposite of freedom. So why are the Chachamim saying to us, no, learn out the word freedom from this idea of engraving. And so, as it was explained to me by uh, Rabbi Gross, he said, he said the following. He said, you see, you see, there's this, this toxic, insidious, neurotic aspect to life. What is neuroses? Neuroses is, I, I, I should do that, or I can do that, but really I should be doing that, except I should be doing that. I don't know what to do! <laughs> A person can very easily go through life like that. And that's not freedom. There's nothing, there's not freedom there. Because there has to be a sense of, as Reb Shlomo always says, in order to be free, you have to know where you're going. You need a plan to be free. Just to be free for freedom's sake, that's not called freedom. You're entering into another realm, either slavery to your own emotions in the moment, or, or you're entering into this neurotic realm where you're free to do whatever you like, but you don't know what you're supposed to do. So when all of a sudden the Torah comes and fixes the North Star, fixes the goals, fixes the proper, highest, 
most beautiful behaviors in life and says, there it is, then it's sort of like, okay, it's not a moving target anymore. There it is, it's in front of me. Okay, now either, look, we all fall short, we all make mistakes, you know, that's part of the human reality. Sometimes I'm going to get there, sometimes I'm not. But at least I know where it is. At least I know where it is. And that's the freedom that comes from the engraving. Because now it's fixed. Now it's fixed. At least I know what to aim for. You see, you know something? You know, there's like this... uh, you know, I always go back to what my, my, my grandfather, who, Oliver Shalom, who I never was able to meet, um, he died before I was born. But my mother told me that he, would, that he had this phrase, smart, smart, stupid, where people think like on a very high level and then from this highly intellectual place come up with a completely wrong conclusion, <laughs> Right? There's a famous joke like this, by the way, which is that um, medical experimenters take a frog and it hops a certain distance and then they cut off one of its limbs and it hops a little bit less and then they cut off another one of its limbs and each time before it, they, it, it, it hops, they say, hop, and it will hop, you know. And so then they cut off a third limb, it jumps even less, and then they cut off the last limb And they say, hop, and it doesn't hop. And they conclude that when you cut off all the frog's limbs, it goes deaf. (laughs) 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 You know, it reminds me of another story of, of, in in Chelm, you know, you have in, in, you know, Jewish folklore, you have the the stories about Chelm. And the, uh, the origin of Chelm is that the angel of death was taking all of these souls and he dropped all the dumb ones into hell. <laughs> so they're all somehow in Helm. So the elders, the wise men of Helm, find that there's a, a student, which is, he's a very, he's a young, up-and-coming genius in Helm, right? And so they, they decide to, to test him one Shabbos, you know? And they say to him, they give him, this is the big question. What is it that, sh- that sweetens the tea? Is it the spoon or the sugar? <laughs> and he thinks and he says, it's the spoon. And they say, then why do you put sugar in? And he says, because when the sugar is dissolved, you know the spoon is finished sweetening the tea. <laughs> So, so this is the idea of smart, smart, stupid, right? It's, it's very smart until it's completely wrong. So, so the idea is that, that when one struggles, when one really puts themselves into something, and they, they try, they try hard, even if they fall short, that is indicative of of a greater love and a greater caring. As opposed to when when someone just kind of just, eh, this is me, this is what it is. I had the white plates. The white strings were easily available. 
I didn't get them. That's what it is. No, at that moment, the inside of a person is showing themselves. So Rabbi Ferti goes further, and he says that look at as an experiment, and I, I tried to do this, it's, it's, it's very revelatory. Look at the things that you do without even thinking. Just over the course of the week, maybe, if you remember, just try to, you know, observe some of your actions, whatever it is, the type of things that you do without, without thinking about it. The idea being that some of those things may be, may be um, actually a, a reflection into the real I aspect of yourself. So, for instance, I'll give you an, an example. Let's say you're putting the, um, let's say someone asks for a bencher. You know, the, uh, the grace after the meal, so the little booklet. I've, I've seen people um, throw it like a frisbee onto the table, right? I've seen other people pick it up off a pile, kiss it first without even thinking about it, and then hand it to someone at the table. Both of those things were done by the people without even thinking about it. Without even thinking about it. So look at your look at yourself. Look at yourself and see where what are the things you do without even thinking about it. Not when you're trying. When you're not trying is the point. And then that will open up a discussion between you and yourself and between you and whoever you want to have the discussion with. <laughs> To see where what what does that say about me, or what or what doesn't that say about me, and may even give you some areas that you might want to investigate further. Um, so, you know, David Amelech said in the Tehillim, you know, that his his feet carry him to the base medrash, to the house of learning. In other words, there's a he just he, he was saying that just instinctually, without even thinking, if he's walking, he just starts walking. You know, if you just put him down and he starts walking, he's going to walk to shul. That's a good level. <laughs> that's David Amelech. That's that's this is the Nisham of Mashiach. You know, just he just gravitating. Just put him down. He's going to gravitate right toward Torah. You know, that's a beautiful thing. So, so we have. In Parsha's Boom, we have this Pasuk that we were looking at a little bit, which is, um, contains, if you listen to it, it's one, it's one Pasuk, one verse, but it, um, it contains two, two separate mitzvahs. And it's in, uh, chapter 12, verse 10. If you listen to it, you'll hear a bit of a contradiction or a paradox, whatever it is. It says, you shall not leave any of it, meaning the Korban Pesach, there was a Passover offering. So it says, and you're supposed to, um, you know, eat it the night of the, uh, the night of Pesach. It says, you shall not leave, you shall not leave any of it until morning. Right? That means eat the whole thing, right? So we're still in the middle of the verse. Any of it that is left over until morning, you shall burn in the fire. Wait a second, we just said you're not supposed to leave any of it over. Then the next part of the verse says, any of it that's left over. So what is it? Are you, are you eating it or are you not eating it? It says, don't leave any of it over. 
Then in the same verse itself, any of it that's left over, burn in the fire. And it's two separate mitzvahs. If it's one mitzvah, then you'll say to me, okay, well, ideally, you're supposed to eat it all that night, but if you can't, burn it the next day. It's one mitzvah. But it's not one mitzvah. The Chachamim say, our sages say, it's two separate mitzvahs. Absolutely do not leave any of it over. That's the mitzvah. In fact, it is. I'm not setting you up and say, oh, it's not really the mitzvah. No, that really is the mitzvah. Do not leave any of it over. Mitzvah number two. Any of it that's left over, burn in the fire. Separate mitzvah. The answer is, and it's a surprising thing, but actually after you hear it, it kind of makes sense. The answer is, is that believe it or not, there are certain mitzvahs in the Torah that can only be kept if you've broken other mitzvahs in the Torah. Now that doesn't mean, this is very, very important, that doesn't mean, therefore, break the mitzvah so that you can do the other mitzvah. That's not what it means. It just means that among the 613 mitzvahs, there just happen to be certain mitzvahs that can only be kept if you've broken other mitzvahs. I'll give you a very good example. Return stolen property. (laughs) Who taught you to steal? There's a very clear mitzvah that says, don't steal. So, should I think, how about, here's, here's this for a smart, smart, stupid. Since I want to keep the whole Torah, I'll steal from you, and then I'll pay you back. No! But if someone comes to steal, if someone comes to steal, there's a mitzvah to return. There's also a mitzvah to do tshuva, to, to repair, to, to fix up anything we did wrong. How do we do the mitzvah of tshuva if we didn't do anything wrong yet? You know, you have 613 mitzvahs. A lot of people say, okay, so what's the ultimate human being? The ultimate Jew. What's a super Jew? The, what's, let's talk about Mashiach. Mashiach must be keeping all 613 mitzvahs. This is what people think. But wait a second. Some of the mitzvahs are just for women. Some are just for men. Some are for kings. Some are for farmers. Some are for kahanim. Some are for people, you know, it's, you can't be all those things at once. Even Mashiach can't be all those things at once. Which means there's no such thing as an individual keeping all 613 mitzvahs. You can keep all of the mitzvahs that apply to you. That would be a very great exalted level. But it doesn't add up to the number 613. The way we get that, by the way, is because we're all one soul. And because we're all one soul, through each other, we're able to gain access to the other mitzvahs. And so that's how an individual can keep all 613, but not through their own actions. But getting back to this point, what this means is, and what this is teaching us is something very, 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 very important, which is that a lot of people think when they make a mistake or when they do something wrong or whatever it is, even if they did it on purpose, you say, okay, well, maybe you did it by accident. No, even if you did it on purpose. You think, okay, now I'm out of the game. Now I'm out. I, I lost. I, I, I didn't live up to whatever was expected of me in this situation. Now I'm out. It's not true. This is telling you, eat the entire thing that night. 
And if you didn't, <laughs> I didn't. What do I do now? Burn it the next morning. You mean there's a mitzvah for me? Even though I didn't do what I was supposed to do, I'm still back in the game? There's a mitzvah for me? Yeah. Because it doesn't end. It doesn't end. Like I always like to say, if you fall off the wagon, you fall onto another wagon. <laughs> you never, you never, you're never out. You're never out. So you say, well, wait a second. I fell to such a low place. I fell to such a low place. I don't even want to tell you it's so disgusting. It's so horrific. I fell to such a low place. But, but finish the thought. Where did you fall? Back into Hashem's arms. <laughs> Are you breathing? Yeah? Okay. Well, Hashem's keeping you alive. <laughs> Are you thinking? Yeah? Hashem is keeping you alive. You fell. You did fall. I'm not telling you you didn't fall. You fell. Back into Hashem's arms. So, so this is the nature, this is the nature of life, and it doesn't stop after this. After the neshama leaves the body, where do you go? Back into Hashem's arms. It doesn't stop. You know, I always think about, uh, and I've seen this, I've seen this absolutely proven. I learned this from Rabbi Green. He says there, there, there are certain, if, there are certain people, including God, not that God is a person, but certain people and God, say, that if you're in your room and you say, can you shut the door, I want to be alone now, your child will shut the door and say, okay, we're alone now. <laughs> you meant, get out of the room, I want to be alone. <laughs> you said, shut the door, I want to be alone now. The child hears it, Okay, I shut the door. We're alone now. Hashem, if you say, Hashem, please, I want to be alone now. Hashem says back, okay, we're alone now. <laughs> no, no, no. I really want to be alone now. No, no, no. We're alone now. <laughs> no, no, I really want to be alone now. We're alone now. <laughs> you know, there's a concept... Of Rabbi Shlomo talked about it. There's a concept of hiding from God and hiding with God. This is the level of hiding with God. You know, you know, there are many marriages that have taken place because the other person just wouldn't go away. <laughs> <laughs> and at a certain point, the man or the woman said, all right, <laughs> let's just get married, you know. <laughs> and, and they get married. So all of us have a choice at some point to realize God isn't going away. <laughs> let's just get married. Let's just do it. Let's just do it already. Because he's not going anywhere. I'm never going to get away from him. So why not turn that into a plus? 
And by the way, who are you married? Only the master of the universe. I mean, you know, if you want someone who looks good on paper, that's pretty good. (laughs) So, you know, I heard Rabbi Green say one time, 99% of life is in your head. And that the most precious real estate in the entire world is between your ears. (laughs) When When we accept or recognize these fundamentals and we just allow ourselves to open up, we're we're inhabiting a different world. You know, one of my favorite stories, when my father... uh, one day called me and my sister and my brother into the kitchen. We were young. Actually, I can tell you our exact ages. 1973, so that means I was 11. So 11, 13, and 16, I guess. And my father had obtained a pen that Richard Nixon had used to sign into law. This was right at the end of, this was post-Watergate, but before he resigned. So this was really the end of the Nixon uh, era, which was, he left under a very dark cloud. And my father said, look what I got as a gift, a pen that President Nixon, he was the president at the time, used to sign a bill into law. So my oldest brother said, what do we want that for? He's a crook. And my sister said, how do we know he really used that pen? And I said, he's going to be impeached. It's going to be worth a lot of money. (laughs) So three entirely different responses to the same stimulus. Three entirely different responses. My, my father, Allah Shalom, once told me he looked at his nieces, my sister's daughters, who were four different ages, and he just sort of like, just remarked with like wonder, he said, all of them are inhabiting different universes. You know, it's true for all of us, by the way, but especially when people are at different ages, their comprehension, their knowledge of the world is so different. They're in different places. They're in different places. So, so when we allow ourselves to see what the bottom line reality of the universe is, is that we have God and God has us, and that that is the fundamental reality, and that we have the opportunity to make that into good news, into great news, into great news. We can shift the fundamental reality of our entire lives and actually make it into the, the real reality. The real reality. So, um, Hashem should bless us that we, that we value, 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 value every single moment. And, uh, You know, 
One of the things the Ramban says is that Hashem made these miracles in Egypt and he showed clearly that he's running the entire world and that these miracles are for all time. They're for you and me as much, if not more, than they were for the people who they were given to initially. In fact, there's a really uh, a landmark passage right in the beginning of Parsha's Bow. It's uh, chapter 10, verse 2. Listen to this. We think, we think that the miracles were really for the people at the time. They were also for the people at the time. But we think that they were for the people at the time. And we sort of just kind of remember them or think about them or try to learn from them. Right? But listen to what the Torah itself says. Well, I'll give you the run-up from the, from the beginning of the Parsha, but it's really the point is in the, in the second Pasuk. Hashem said to Moshe, Come to Pharaoh, for I have made his heart and the heart of his servants stubborn, so that I can put these signs of mine in his midst. Okay, now listen to this Pasuk. And so that you may relate in the ears of your son and your son's son that I made a mockery, this is English, but that I made a mockery of Egypt, and my signs that I placed among them, that you may know that I am Hashem. Did you, did you hear that? So that you may relate to the ears of your son and your son's son. That's us. I'm doing this so that future generations should know that I'm Hashem. It's for us. Hashem Himself tells us, the miracles I made in Egypt are for you today. For you today. So the Ramban says, you know something? Hashem isn't always going to make a miracle all the time for every single person who asks because He already made them. He can make them again. Nothing is hard for Hashem. But He already made them and He made them for us. And everything is the way it is because that's how Hashem wants it to be at that moment. Now we can change it through prayer and through deeds and through supplicating to Hashem and everything like that. But also, there is some level and some beauty in our recognizing, wow, well, I'm being given this present moment. This was sculpted, literally sculpted. I mean, think about the billions and trillions of possibilities that can exist at any single moment. It's not just that there's this moment and I'm stuck in it. It's this moment and not several trillion other moments. And then you go, okay, so what's special about this moment? How awesome, how awesome, how awesome every single moment is. Handpicked. Every single, every single moment. Handpicked and given to you. Okay, have a great week.